exactly what people were buying, looking to buy, or avoiding? How about starting an e-commerce firm that already knew what the buyer wanted? How about a travel business that knew where the customer wanted to go? The possibilities, it seemed, were endless. Not to mention that within Google's rich database lay potential fieldwork for thousands of doctorates in cultural anthropology, psychology, history, or sociology. This little company, I thought to myself, wrapped and a bit naively, is holding the world by its thoughts. I've got to go see it. Maybe the dot-com dream wasn't dead. Perhaps it had simply been hiding behind the implacable facade of a Google search box. I remembered that back in April 2001, Eric Schmidt, a founder of Sun Microsystems, had left his job running Novell, the perpetually struggling networking giant, and accepted the chairman and CEO role over at Google. The industry was baffled by the move, but we'll get to that story later. I knew Eric somewhat, as I covered Novell and Sun while I was a trade reporter, and I ran into him at various conferences during my career as an editor and publisher. I decided to take a chance and shoot him an email. I really had no idea what I wanted to talk about, other than my nascent sense that he was on to something big. A funny aside, but from 1992 to 97, I was co-founding editor of Wired, and from 97 to 2001, I ran the Industry Standard. In the fall of 1998, the Industry Standard was the first business magazine to put Google on the cover, along with three other search engines, under the title Search That Works. I knew about Google, certainly, but it took another three years for me to realize its true importance. Google, it seemed, was thriving. I had heard it was pretty much the only place left in the valley that was hiring engineers. Eric agreed to a meeting, and in early 2002, we sat down for the first of several intriguing talks. Eric looks for the billion-dollar opportunity. When we met, I hadn't yet figured out I wanted to write this book, but I was headed that way. I introduced my concept of the database of intentions and spoke of how Zeitgeist scratched the surface of what seemed to be a massive new wealth of cultural understanding. As we spoke, I outlined how Google might create a media division to tap into that resource. Yahoo had already declared itself a media company, so why not Google? While Eric agreed that the data collected by Google was impressive, he didn't see the point of starting a media business. Google was a technology business, he told me. Media is best left to people like you, he added. I argued that the two were intertwingled at Google, that his newly installed revenue base, AdWords, was pure advertising dollars, media, in other words. Google's future, I counseled, was to be a media company. Eric disagreed. We're looking for the next billion-dollar market in technology, he said. Got any ideas? I didn't, but I came away from that meeting convinced that sooner or later, Google would take its place as a giant in the media landscape. It didn't take long. A year later, I met with Eric again. Among his first words, Isn't the media business great? In essence, Google and its competitors have created the first application to leverage the database of intentions in a commercial manner, paid search. In less than five years, the business has grown from next to nothing to more than $4 billion in revenue, and it is predicted to quadruple in another five years. Along the way, 
search has moved from a useful service on the edge of most Internet users' experience to the de facto interface for computing in the information age. Ramey Stata, a Silicon Valley-based engineer and entrepreneur, observes, As the amount of information available to us explodes, search has become the user's interface metaphor. There is now all this information that is possible to get into your hands. Search is our attempt to make sense of it. In the past few years, search has become a universally understood method of navigating our information universe. Much as the Windows interface defined our interactions with the personal computer, search defines our interactions with the Internet. Put a search box in front of just about anybody, and he'll know what to do with it. And the aggregate of all those searches, it turns out, is knowable. It constitutes the database of our intentions. Search as Material Culture as with many in the technology industry, my fascination with computers started with the Macintosh. Back in the mid-1980s, I was an undergraduate studying cultural anthropology, and I took a class that focused on the idea of material culture, basically interpreting the artifacts of everyday life. Professor Jim Dietz, a genteel Maryland native who favored contemporary Kentucky bourbon and 19th-century Virginian architecture, taught that the tools of archaeology— usually applied only in the context of civilizations long dead, should be used to interpret the lessons of cultural anthropology, which focuses on living cultures. Dietz encouraged us to see all things modified by humankind as material culture, even if they weren't material in the atomic sense. Most interestingly, he encouraged us to interpret communication, in particular language and its written counterpart, as reflecting the culture that created it, fraught with all kinds of intent, controversy, politics, and relationships. Nothing you wouldn't find in a college literature or philosophy course, but this was also a science. Viewing language as artifact was a way to pick up current culture and hold it in your hand, make sense of it, read it. Around the same time, I was making some folding money, beta testing WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, software, on a brand spanking new Macintosh, vintage 1984. Like just about everyone who used a Macintosh in those early days, I was hooked on the seductive blend of interface and execution. I pointed there, and things changed there. Anthropology and technology merged, and I was soon convinced that the Macintosh represented humankind's most sophisticated and important artifact ever, a representation of the plastic mind made visible. Yeah, college, <sighs> wasn't it great? Anyway, the idea that a WYSIWYG graphical user interface, especially when networked to others, could provide a medium connecting human intelligence drove much of my fascination with reporting on computing technology as a cultural artifact. From Wired to the industry standard, the Mac as the greatest artifact meme became one of my standard conversational riffs. I'd use it to frame conversations with writers pitches to venture capitalists, and joints after midnight arguments with good friends. While others argued that the wheel or the internal combustion engine was civilization's greatest tool, I'd stick to my guns and argue for the Mac. But once I'd seen Google's zeitgeist, I knew my beloved Macintosh had been trumped. Every day, millions upon millions of people lean forward into their computer screens and pour their wants fears, and intentions into the simple colors and brilliant white background of Google.com. Peugeot dealer Lyon, one might ask, in French, of course. 
Record criminal Michael Evans, an anxious woman might query as she awaits her blind date. Toxic EPA Westchester County, a potential homeowner might ask, speaking in the increasingly ubiquitous, sophisticated, and evolving grammar of the Google search keyword. Of course, the same is true for the search boxes at Yahoo, MSN, AOL, Ask, and hundreds of other Internet search, information, and commerce sites. Billions of queries stream across the servers of these Internet services, the aggregate thought stream of humankind online. What are we creating, intention by single intention, when we tell the world what we want? Link by link, click by click, search is building possibly the most lasting, ponderous, and significant cultural artifact in the history of humankind, the database of intentions. The database of intentions is simply this, the aggregate results of every search ever entered, every result list ever tendered, every path taken as a result. It lives in many places, but three or four places in particular, AOL, Google, MSN, and Yahoo, hold a massive amount of this data. Taken together, this information represents a real-time history of post-web culture, a massive clickstream database of desires, needs, wants, and preferences that can be discovered, subpoenaed, archived, tracked, and exploited for all sorts of ends. Consider the database of intentions as rich data topsoil on an archaeological layering of technology that over the past half-century or so has created the potential for an entirely new culture to emerge. It's easy to consider the web a relatively recent development, but the web itself is built on the Internet, which in turn is built on a vast network of computers of all stripes, mainframes, mini-computers, powerful servers, the desktop PC, and any number of mobile devices. This network has been built over nearly three generations, yet only in the past decade has it emerged in our cultural consciousness. In the next decade, it will expand to our televisions, our automobiles, and our...